Hello and welcome to the podcast on Broadwater Parish in Worthing, a thriving Anglican church based in the parish of Broadwater, West Sussex in Worthing. We are one church across three sites and Christians have worshipped for over a thousand years at our church at St Mary's. This podcast features sermons from our services and interviews and other episodes and you can find out more by going to broadwaterparish.org.uk. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy this most recent episode of the podcast. Uh, The reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Dave. The 6 p.m. is back. Hey, Uh, It's it's had a sabbatical. We all need a sabbatical from time to time, but uh, it's great that it is back. I really enjoy this service. I don't know about you, but it's great to have a bit longer uh, to worship uh, to listen to God's word, to pray. Um, my name's Paul. I'm the worship pastor here at St. Mary's, so I'm normally over there. Um, but thank you to Tom and the band for leading us in worship and also to encourage us to put a microphone there. Uh, it's wonderful to hear some people pray and share something and just have that sense that God is with us in our service. We've got some exciting things lined up in the 6 p.m. Uh, and in fact, next week, We've got some guest worship leaders. So we've got Joseph Shermer, who's the worship pastor at St. Matthew's, and Becca Schmier, who's the worship uh, pastor at Maybridge here, co-leading the worship. Um, so it'd be great if you came along and encouraged others to come along. And just generally, spread the word that the 6 p.m. service is back, and it's great, and that people should come along. It'd be great to see more people here at the evening service. We're starting a series today for the next six weeks or so, that really follows on from Alpha and the 321 course that looks at what it means to believe and to be a Christian. In fact, we were meant to start last week, but we discovered there was an extra week on the 321 course. So it should have been the 4321 course instead of the 321 course, but we're here and we've started. But that's just a word to those of you who are preaching. You're a week behind where you think you might be. Um, so we're going to look at some of those basics uh, of Christianity and of our faith. I was on a family holiday when I was younger as a teenager, and for some reason that's still a mystery to me, we decided to go windsurfing. Never been before, never been since, 
Um, not like the windsurfing that you see down at, at Worthing Beach, you know, where they're going 20 much more. This, the old version before they kind of managed to fly in the sky. In fact, nowadays they've got fins, I think, under and they go even faster, don't they? Um, it was a slightly more sedate version on a lake somewhere in Europe. I, sorry, I can't be more specific. It was a long time ago. Um, I'd never been windsurfing before, but I managed to get myself to the middle of the lake only to discover that I only knew how to go in one direction. So I, I couldn't get back to shore. I was stuck in the middle. And I think my parents and the instructor, who'd obviously shown me some of how to windsurf, but not all of how to windsurf, watched me for a little while and thought, I don't think he knows how to get back. Uh, and to be honest, I was starting to panic a little, thinking that my life might play out on a windsurf in the middle of a lake and I'd never return. But that instructor jumped on his own board and came over to me and started to guide me back to the shore, uh, fighting against the wind, and gradually I managed to get back. And I'm here today. I'm not still on that lake. The, the passage we're looking at in Ephesians is a little bit like that. We were following our own direction, sometimes without an ability to change or to go where we wanted to go and to live how we wanted to live, and Jesus saved us. A lot of us have that story, right? We were stuck. We didn't know how to get back. We only knew how to go one way, our way. And Jesus saved us and brought us back so that we can live our lives for him. Obviously, what we're going to look at today has a bit more significance for our life than that story about windsurfing. But being saved by grace through faith, which is what this passage says, is at the heart and center of what it means to be a Christian. The Bible uses lots of different analogies to describe what it means to be a Christian. But Ephesians is probably the clearest statement we have in the Bible of what that means. That's why we're looking at this passage. It's not accidental. This is perhaps the best summary of what it does mean to be a Christian, to believe in Jesus. And the picture that Paul chooses to use is that we were dead, but we've been made alive. So it's a great passage for us to come back to again and again and again. Now, I love the book of Ephesians. And in fact, verse 10, which is right at the end, is my favorite verse in the Bible. A lot of us have life verses, verses that we just keep coming back to time and time again. And Ephesians 2.10 is that for me. So it's great that I'm able to speak on the whole passage. But if a worship leader was going to write a book of the Bible, Ephesians is the book they would write. Because that first chapter has no punctuation in the original. It just goes on and on and on, a bit like worship leaders sometimes. It's one long sentence in the original. You don't get that in the translation. And in fact, it's structured much like a typical order of service. It starts with praise, then prayer, then preaching, and then prayer, and then finishes with praise. That would be familiar to a lot of us, right, in the orders of service that we are used to, particularly here. Though someone forgot to tell the Apostle Paul about the notices, which are clearly the most important part of the service, so you won't find those in there, uh, but they're definitely in our services. The first half of Ephesians is about our relationship to God in Christ, and the second part is about our relationship to others. When Paul talks about our relationship with God, he uses the word Christ. When he talks about our relationship with others, he uses the word Lord. The first half is about how salvation comes to believers. The second part is about how we should behave once we become believers. People often think 
They get it the wrong way around, right? They think you have to behave before you believe. Now, some people do, and you're all very well behaved. Um, but actually, you believe, and then you behave, or you learn to behave, or you try and behave. But you believe first. In chapter 2, the first three verses are about what we're saved from. Verses 4 to 9 in this passage, uh, how we're saved. And finally, verse 10 is what we're saved for. So let's look at it together. Verse 1 and 3, what we're saved from. Now, you might be surprised, but actually and ultimately, we're saved from ourselves. We're saved from our self-centered human nature, from our own pride and our own conceit. Now, you don't need to tell some people that they need saving. They know it. In fact, most of us know it. We know that we need a savior deep down. It's why we're here. Unfortunately, a lot of those people who know that they need the savior don't end up coming to the church. So tell them to come to the 6 p.m. service. Everyone is welcome. Someone once said that church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. We're here because we're sinners and we need Jesus. But they don't feel good enough to come. We often don't feel good enough to come. But this is exactly the place we should come to, to hear about how Jesus saves us. On the other hand, you can often find quite a lot of religious people in church who are very good, very moral, very upright. Um, but what this passage tells us is that still can be centered on ourselves rather than on Jesus. It can still be a self-centered life, but a very moral, upright, good life. Timothy Keller, one of my favorite preachers, wrote that there's nothing more miserable than being self-centered and absorbed with yourself. Of thinking, what do people think of me? What does this mean for me? What do I get out of this? What can God do for me? It's a lonely place to be always thinking of ourself rather than Jesus and others. In fact, that's a pretty good summary of our culture in 21st century Britain. But in Christ, we find the antidote to the misery of being self-centered, which is to be focused and centered on Jesus, to be Christ-centered rather than self-centered. And in fact, it's the secret to contentment, which the Bible talks about elsewhere, which is to think that I deserve nothing, so everything is a blessing, which is the complete opposite to I deserve everything, so why is nothing going my way? I think we've all been guilty of that, right, from time to time. And we think we know what sin is. We probably do. We have a pretty good idea of it. We're pretty good at identifying it. Uh, but ultimately, this passage tells us that sin is about putting ourselves where God should be. Putting ourselves at the center of our lives rather than Jesus being the center of our lives. These first few verses sum up that way of life. Whether we're good or bad, moral or immoral, it describes it as being dead. We do what we want to do. We go with the flow. We go the world's way, not God's way. Again, we probably all recognize that, right? Because it's easy to live life like that. Most of us at one point or another have lived like that. And we know what the results are. And they're not good. But then we get to this phrase at the end of verse or the beginning of verse four which says but God just two words but 
God. Which brings us to four to nine. How are we saved? Salvation is the opposite of a self-centered lifestyle. It's about putting God where he should be in the center of our lives. In fact, someone described salvation as God putting himself where we should be and us putting God where he should be. God putting himself where we should be, he paid the price for us, and us putting God where he should be at the center of our lives. God is described in this passage as being rich in mercy. Now let's distinguish just for a second between mercy and grace. Grace, which we talk a lot about in church, is receiving something we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving something that we did deserve. And in Christ we have both. He shows us mercy. He doesn't give us what we do deserve. And he shows us grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. We receive his salvation, which we didn't deserve. And he shows us mercy by taking our place on the cross to pay the price for our sins. It's like two sides of a coin or old and new clothing. The Bible uses different pictures to describe what salvation is. And that's incredibly good news because it means we don't have to pay the price for whatever we've done or has been done to us. Jesus has paid it all. So we can forgive ourselves, which is often hard to do, and others as well. In case you are in any doubt, verse 4 says that God is rich in mercy and he loves us. He loves you with a great love. So much so, it says, that even when we were dead, even before we were born, even before we even thought about coming to church or following Jesus, he sent his son to die for us. In fact, before you were born, the Bible says God numbers the hairs on your head. He knows every moment of your life that is, has been, will be, and is coming. He knows it all. He knows the things that other people don't know. And yet, he sent his son for you because he loves you. And it goes on to say that by grace you're saved. And then it uses this phrase. Well, if, if this is such an amazing thing, how do I experience it myself? How do I become a Christian? And it says it's through faith, which is perhaps the most important verse in this whole passage. So, what is faith? If faith is so important to being saved, what is it? In the Sistine Chapel, I don't know if you've ever been, we went on holiday to uh, Rome last year and we did a tour of the Sistine Chapel. Now, you're only allowed to stay at UQ for a long time and you're only allowed to stay in for 15 minutes because it's one of the greatest works of art. Though I think it's because you're staring up so long, you'll probably hurt your neck if you keep looking at it any longer. It's this incredible series of paintings and right in the middle is one called The Creation of Adam. You probably know it, right? Which is Adam reaching out his hand and God reaching out his hand to Adam. In fact, even in that, I think it's Michelangelo, who, whoever painted it, he was showing off, right? Because the hand is the hardest thing to draw. So even in showing that picture, he was still thinking, how can I show that I'm a, a great artist? And he was a great artist. But it's a picture of what faith is, of us reaching out, to God and God reaching out to us. In fact, faith really is about trusting 
in God. God is a person. Our faith is a relationship. There is part of faith where we have to use our head to believe that Jesus was born and crucified and raised to life. And in fact, the Apostles' Creed is a pretty good summary, so I'm going to read it to you. And you can, you can take this and read it, because an important part of faith is to know what we're believing in. And so it goes like this. You might know it, so you can say it along out loud or quietly. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he'll come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It's pretty good, right? Pretty good summary. Something that wouldn't be a bad thing, I think, now I've read it, and it's been a long time since I've read it, to read it more regularly, to remind myself what I believe. In fact, there's a more detailed one called the... Go on, I'm going to get this wrong. Nicene? Nicene? Nicene Creed, yeah? If you want a more detailed one. Now, obviously, there's a lot there which we're not unpacking tonight, but the Alpha Course went through a lot of that. We touched on that in church. That's one part of faith, what we believe. If you were here at the Alpha Course, you'd... You'll have been through some of those facts of Christianity, how Jesus was a real historical figure with more evidence than perhaps anyone else for the fact that he was there and died and rose again. But the other part of faith, which we sometimes don't talk about so much, is the heart, not the head. It's trusting in Christ as your Savior, looking to him instead of yourself. Whether you're a moral person or not is not really the point. The point is instead of being self-centered to be Christ-centered. That's why we often pray or ask people to pray when they're becoming Christians something called the sinner's prayer. You've, you've heard of it, right? You won't find it in the Bible, but that's okay. It's just a summary of what the Bible teaches. There's different variations, but ultimately it's a summary of what it means in a simple form to become a Christian. The Alpha version, for those of you who are on it, uses three words, sorry, thank you, and please. Sorry, asking God to forgive us for all the things we've done wrong and turn from everything that we know is wrong, which is what the Bible means by repentance. Thank you, believing that Jesus died for us on the cross, thanking him for dying for us and accepting his offer of free forgiveness in his spirit. Please, God never forces his way into our lives, but we say, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. That prayer that we pray, come Holy Spirit. And accept that he will come to live with you and in you and to guide you by his Holy Spirit. Which brings us to verse 10, what we're saved for. Ultimately, we're saved for a life that God had already planned out for us. That's what this verse says in 2.10. In fact, the word workmanship means work of art or masterpiece. God is that great creator. He's that great artist. It describes us a bit like a painting or a sculpture or, or a masterpiece, a workmanship. God has created us. He puts value on us, even if others sometimes don't. He sees us 
as that great masterpiece that he's created. He's talking about you and me. And he says in this verse that he's created you for, it talks about good works, which he's already prepared so that you should do them. Essentially, that God has a plan for your life. And a lot of people, even if they're not professing Christians, will say, I just have a sense this is what I'm born to do. And to me, that is speaking to something that's greater than them. If you have that sense, well, who put it there? God, your creator, put it there because he has a purpose and a plan that's just for you. And it's a plan that no one else can do. It's, it's unique to you. Only you can carry out that purpose which God has created you for. It's a life of serving Christ and serving others and forgetting about yourself. And that's how the Bible actually tells us that we're truly free. Not by focusing on ourselves, but by putting Christ at the center and serving others. In fact, C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest writers that our country has ever produced, wrote a book which you might have read called Surprised by Joy. And really, that's the story of how he became a Christian. He described himself as the most reluctant Christian in the country. That's amazing, isn't it? He was friends with a great writer called Tolkien. And they used to meet at a pub in Oxford. I've been there just to imagine what it would be like to be a fly on the wall, to listen to Tolkien and C.S. Lewis talking about things. And you wonder if it was Tolkien who had a faith that got C.S. Lewis thinking. But in that book, he writes that when we pursue joy, we find it eludes us. When we pursue happiness, we find we can't get it. But as he gradually decided to follow Christ, that's when he writes he was surprised by joy. When he wasn't looking for joy and happiness, he found it by forgetting about himself and looking to Christ. We're going to pray together. It's a great passage on what it means to become a Christian, and we're going to use that prayer together. So feel free to pray it, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time. Or for some of us here, we might have been Christians for a long time, for decades, 50 years even, some of us, I know. We were talking about it before the service. And yet this prayer is relevant to us because we can become busy and forget what life is about as a Christian, which is to put Christ at the center and to focus on him. So let's pray together. And if you want to, you can use these words um, to follow along to pray. And the band will come up and then we'll respond in worship. Heavenly Father, we just want to use this prayer that we're taught as a helpful way of talking about how to believe in Jesus. So we say sorry. Sorry for the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done. Help us to turn away from them. We say thank you. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross in our place to forgive our sins. And we say, please, would you fill us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit? We thank you that you created us, that you value us, that you have a life planned out for us that is more exciting than anything that we could plan ourselves. 
And we pray that we would know what it is that you're calling us to. Come Holy Spirit and fill us afresh and anew. In Jesus' name, amen.